Hello, listeners. This is Ariana Evans, and you are listening to I See You, Mama, the podcast where we talk with other moms about the stuff they love and the stuff they do and how that intermingles with how they parent and mother their children. My guest this week, oh gosh, I should say what episode we are. We're episode number 32. Um, my guest this week is Jody Hayes, and whenever Jody and I see each other, it's like we we continue the conversation that we were having last time, and we just jump right back in, and there's a whole lot of chit-chat and, and back and forth, and we talk about all these really fun stuff, but it's, um, I forgot to introduce her, so like 15, 20 minutes in, I finally remember to say... Uh, this is my guest, Jody Hayes, and um, we just continued on with our conversation, and we probably would have talked another, I don't know, hour or so if we had not had to go get our children from school, um, and that's just the way we roll, and um, I we talked about this a little bit, but Jody is a visual artist. Um, she works at Watkins College of Art here in Nashville. And um, she's a part of the master's uh, fine arts degree that they run there. And um, she's just a fascinating human who loves deeply, parents intentionally and deeply, and is just such an intelligent and wonderful person to talk to that um, I feel like I could talk to her forever. And we would not run out of topics. Uh, because both of us really care about a lot of the same things. And one of those things being, um, how we raise our children with intention. And we'll, we'll touch on that, some of that in this, uh, podcast. But, um, for now, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Um, so it's going to be kind of an awkward start where we just jump into a conversation and then I introduce her later. So, um, I'm so glad you're here and I'm so glad you're listening and, uh, thanks for being here. Now on to this ongoing conversation with Jody. Okay. The stands are a nice aqua, <coughs> turquoise color. They're a color that I'm like drawn to over and over. Like I'll pick out stuff and I'm like, oh, it's turquoise. Yeah. I'll bring it home and that's like turquoise again. I'm like, shh, be quiet. It's my, um. It's a weird thing, but like I used to do EMDR with my therapist. I don't, I don't know what that is. Um, it's, I don't remember what it stands for, but it basically induces waking REM sleep. Oh, I, I've heard of this. Yes. To help you reframe Remember things. Memories. Yeah. Like traumatic memories to re, it's sort of like taking them out of the file drawer where they're like chaos. Yes. And like, okay, we're going to file these away in a neat way. They're not lost or labeled. Here they are. Uh-huh. But they're no longer like triggering all of your trauma responses. Um, and one of my, like when we would get to a place where I was like, she's like, go to your safe place. And that was to be suspended underwater. Like ignoring the fact that I can't breathe can't underwater breathe. <laughs> yeah. in water this color. Uh... So like a turquoisey suspended, like huh. a pool, but not like. I'm just this, like weightless and mm-hmm. suspended in that space. Is that also your um, safe space? Like, did you try any like mindfulness, uh, meditation, pregnancy stuff? Like no. birth, birth stuff. 
Um, <laughs> no, I didn't do any hypnobirthing or. Yeah, that's what I mean. Anything like that. I was not like in touch with my body enough to be like, <laughs> I should think about this. Isn't it hilarious that we are tasked <laughs> with having children and so many of us are not in touch with yeah. having a body. Right. Let like, alone having children out of our bodies. Let me just like, let me just birth something. And like, there was a, there was a moment definitely with my first that I was like, this thing has to come out of me. Wait, how's that going to happen? Like I knew how it happened, but like my brain could not get it. I could not get around that. Like I couldn't get oh, I, around I it. I successfully brainwashed myself. <laughs> like it's with not, Gus it's not. or I mean or not brainwashed I just I just with Gus I was who's my first I was definitely game for like my I was made for this like right. I rallied around <laughs> like yeah I read all the like farm books and yes you're made to do this these are your ways I'm gonna make asking yeah which was awesome like I just had a I think I had to like I, I definitely wasn't fearful going into it. I was like, this is the way it's supposed to operate. But there's also some. Then like, I got some baggage. W- along with that, like if you, like I failed, like I ended up having a C-section. I had a preemie, mm. like all this stuff. So, so you got your own I, baggage. Right. Like I was, oh, clearly I wasn't made for this. I am broken. True. Yes. And thank but, you for pointing that out because we do have this. Yeah, this um, this is the way it should be. I think it's also a little bit like that for parenting. And I was talking to someone the other day. There are some of us who have been given delightfully easy first children. Oh, and I'm not going to divulge <laughs> which one I am for the sake of posterity. But um, my children teach, I don't know. It's I don't know how to parent, really. But... Um, I feel like the well, I'm going to divulge who I am by saying that because I feel like a lot of people who believe they do know about parenting also just have kids that are compliant and like, yeah, you know, I, I do think there's a level of like distract fig- everybody at church, right? I do, <laughs> I do feel like there's a level similarly to like how you have your child, whether it's like if it's not this like typical cisgender way or just like vaginal nomad like it 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 begins the process of as a parent you're not enough as a mother you're not enough specifically because I think dads have different baggage than right different different ways of processing yeah so then it's a lot and then parenting you're just like I asked my sister the other day who's a teacher and a parent of two and her kids are in high school and my kids are not and I was like I think I'm just gonna do this I think if I would get the psychologist to um, test my kids. I would understand how they think better and it would help me advocate for them better. And she's like, yeah, that might be true. Um, it also might be true that in six months it would radically change. And it might be true that the work you have to do as a parent is to figure that stuff out outside of a psychologist that you hire. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, she didn't say it exactly in that way, but as my (laughs) older sister who knows a lot about like has really picked up a lot. Um, I was like, I received that. And also that's a lot cheaper. Right. But um, also like harder, like the, yeah. I think there is a part of me that thinks if I just check all the boxes and read all the books and ask all the right questions, then I will figure this out and it will get easier. And I, uh, like so far that hasn't worked out for me. 
<laughs> and do you think, what do you think that's, what do you think that impulse as a, as a parent for you is, where does that come from for your kid, that advocacy come from for your kids? Besides it's, like, we love our kids. Well, it's like a deep place of like, if I get this wrong, then I'm risking them. I'm messing them up. I'm breaking them. Yes. Like, like I, it's I, I'm unredeemable. Them. If I, if I don't figure this out, then I will screw them up for life and their lives will be like, I'll mess up every, and yeah. I'll just talk about it in therapy or yeah. they won't go to therapy and they won't make it like, because I, like I put that on me. Like it's somehow my, uh-huh. it's somehow my job and my fault. Like everything is my job and my fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those Do you feel like your partner has the same weight? I don't think like that. He, I don't know that like he has not voiced that to me out loud. He may carry that, but like I'm the way chattier one in the relationship. So like Do I'm you think the one it comes, that's like bah, 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 bah. Yeah. Does it come from you? Okay, I'm asking all these questions yeah. of you because I think there might be similar things. Um do you think that that impulse to want to advocate for your kid in that way so that you're not two things? Do you think it comes because of, are you working yourself out yes, through your kids? Definitely. Short answer, yes. Yeah. Me too symbol. Um, <laughs> Me too symbol. Secondly, um, and I think we should like know to watch that. It's tricky, right? But right. I, I think the trickiness of like, relatively people of relative privilege with their kids is like there are a lot of tricky things opportunity hoarding uh all of it yeah but but then you're like I want to do this best for my kid but what's best for our kid looks looks different when they're swimming in a pool with other kids and like yeah then how is it just in the end you're gonna like couch your liberal libertarian um, rules of equity, you're going to couch that because you want your kid to have the things you didn't have. And it really is at all cost. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I'm finding about myself that yes, I, a lot of my advocacy comes from I had great parents, whatever, but there are a lot, there's a lot, especially being a visual artist growing up in Arkansas, like there's a lot that I didn't know and continue not to know about the ecosystem I'm in, like the right. capital A art world, graduate schools, uh, the way, the way a giant system works. Um, I just literally lived in a part of the world that didn't know about it and didn't c- care and wasn't cared for by that world. Right. So all those layers. So I want to advocate for my kids. I don't want to over push or overextend an opportunity hoard because because of that lack in myself, but I also want to be aware of like, yeah, you know, had I known that this kind of thing worked out for this, I might have. So what I'm getting to is I <laughs> I have a lot of regrets and regret is like a shadow side of shame anyway. Yeah. And I didn't think I was ever motivated by shame. <laughs> and I see it come up in my kids and I'm like, what's up? We're not. We never have said that to you. But then the way that I think about myself and the regrets I have are totally about shame. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like, so to push back on that, even to myself, like to say if I had had X, Y, and Z as if that would be the magical fix and I would somehow be on the other side of the hump. Yes. Like I wouldn't. I would still be It's invented realities. Right. Yeah. 
if I just solve X, Y, and Z, then your life will be, and then my life would have been, and then everything will be magical. And it's, it's magical thinking. It is. And once again, I'm I'm like, oh. And it's also not causing us to see the wonders that are here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the not cynical part. Right. Um, Yeah. And, and to, and to think it's a practice to focus on and be content on what is here. Not, not to say that there's not like a pushing and a striving and a interest in things and like, and an ambition, but. But I think it's more of a, like, I look at, so my struggles are usually revolve around my oldest because she's the first time I'm going to experience all this stuff and I'm going to, it's like pancakes. You mess up the first one a little bit, then you get the heat, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Four pancakes. Four pancakes for your daughter. Like, so I'm always kind of rewinding and going, oh, okay, here's how I would have, uh-huh. I'm sorry. And here's like, because yeah. I, I think I, I encounter things with her and she like brings up, like she digs up stuff in me that I think I've gone past and I'm like <gasps> panicking a little bit on the inside, but trying to keep yeah. real chill on the outside. So I don't also freak her out and let her know that I'm freaked out. So I, I feel like she always kind of gets the brunt end of like, I don't know what I'm doing mm. and I'm literally flailing here. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, it kind of calms down and often she knows what she's doing and I don't trust her judgment. Hmm. And I'm like, but if you, I, I, like, I can see how this outcome could be bad. And, and, but yeah. she's okay. And she's learning and growing from that experience. Yes. And it's me wigging out on the back yes. end. And we, I have a, a fellow mother, parent, friend who, who will gently push back and say, you know, this is an opportunity for character building. Mm-hmm. And I think I mostly she's talking about my kid, but I think she's also talking about me. Right, like right. I need some character. Yeah, and to have too. those people around you who are who you're you're willing to receive that. That's pretty to go like, yeah, maybe um your kid not getting this XYZ award, even if it's not like an everyday thing or like right. your kid not having it or having all the things that you didn't have, like maybe there's still a greater purpose. Yeah. Like, let's entertain. I, I do think that is where those of us who are privileged, um, whatever, wherever you are on, like, the 12 privileges. I mean, I've got oh, a lot. i got a big stack of them. But I grew up thinking I didn't. I'm like, I'm a girl. I'm not rich. I live in Arkansas. You know, all these things. Yeah. But I had layers. Like, my, my grandparents were hardworking. They could own land. You know, all these layers of that. So wherever you stack up on that, I think those of us who have, you know, let's say six and above. I don't know the list of privileges. We'll have to like explore that. Yes, yes, yes. I was just looking at last week um, intellectually, although I have to look at it every day in my heart. Um, That is where we can learn from those who have less numbers on this is, is, that muscle of character and that muscle of there's a greater thing happening yeah. than your kid writing a kick-ass essay, right. you know? I mean, and I do think, yeah, our kids should be <coughs> prompted and made to have discipline and yeah. prompted and made to follow through. Like, those are great things. But to go after every micro-opportunity 
Yeah. Like that's exhausting. I do it. I'm task oriented. I'm an Enneagram three with a four wing, four with the three wing, depending <laughs> on the day. I re- my heart resonates most, I think, if a three can identify their heart um, with a three, with the four wing. Yeah. But there are days when I look back in my 20s, I'm like four. So I have to think about that with my kids too. I have one who's more, uh, I'm talking about kids because this is what your podcast about, right? Right. That's what um, we Circle back to like, do we have a plan here? Um, <laughs> I, I think about that because I have one who's task oriented and, and sometimes I have to pull back as I, as I do now in my forties, but I wouldn't have then and say, what, what's motivating this achievement? Yeah. Like, do you want to be seen? Who do you want to be seen by? Yeah. What does it matter? Do you want, you know, is and an you can be, pressure, is it? yeah. And you can all be doing the same thing with a thousand different motivators and right. to identify those I think is hard, but healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, as a parent. Um, I think we should introduce you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that a wrap. Is. And who? <laughs> so, uh, this is my guest, Jody Hayes. And um, Jody is a visual artist here in Nashville. She does a million amazing things. You run a master's program. Um, you do visual art shows. You um, you do pop up shows in your own dadu. Like you you wrote the program right for the masters for the master's program. Is that I didn't develop all the curriculum. No, my chair. Um did all the curriculum development, um, which, which is also based on the graduate program that we both attended. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm not the brains behind the curriculum development. That's kind of her thing. Um, she's a full-time teacher at Watkins College of Art. Um, she's amazing. So I'm in full support of that curriculum. Right. But I was hired kind of um, as a as a administrative arm and partially hired, I think. I mean, I don't have it written down that they hired me for this, but it's not in your partially because I, I'm I'm behind that curriculum. I'm behind right. the way of thinking that is low residency yeah. graduate program. So yeah. So you do all these things, and you have three kids <clears throat> um, who are still little, like elementary age, mm-hmm. nine, seven, and four. Four. So she's still home. I know. Well, no, she's in full time um, she... pre K. Okay. Yeah. But she was home for a long time, and I know that was a yeah. balance for you to do have time in your studio and have time with her. And, and yeah, and the new job too kind of set that yeah. up for. Yeah, at at the point, yeah, I definitely was stressed out a year ago, figuring out how it would all work. But I knew I, I knew I had gas in my tank even outside of my studio practice. I'm I'm not someone who makes work. Um, with my head down all the time. Like I certainly need to mind those times, but I tend to be someone who's like, Oh, well I'm making work and maybe I should curate a show or yeah. sometimes I think I should just like shut down and do all of, shut it all down and like, let see what would happen. Like a lot of artists do. Yeah. Um, but it's just also not the way I'm made. Right. So I, I did feel like, Partially because Nashville doesn't have a giant, and and from my perspective, um, community of collectors. This is not cynical. This is just like I don't know many yeah. artists who are sustaining their life only through the sales of their artwork. Right. Um, 
Although I again, there are lots of it. You are three pieces now. I know that's amazing, and (laughs) and that yeah, I'm not saying that to also diminish any. Like I think that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of support and and also this like deep and meaningful community, which in many ways I'll take over patrons who don't know me who are buying my work for their family collection. Like, I don't know. It's kind of an invented reality, but I will say um, there was something in me that, so also very practically, there was something in me that I knew I had gas in my tank. I was like, okay, I figured out how to do this, how to have my work and have my kids so when the Watkins job, uh, it's part-time, but when it came up, it was a little bit of a pinch because Cleo wasn't in school in terms of figuring it out, but um, I knew I had gas in my tank. I knew I was like, okay, that's great, and it's also income that alleviates a little bit of the pressure on my painting so I can be, not that I ever wasn't like experimenting for the sake of doing it, but it's just great. It's great to have a job. It's great to do a part-time. <laughs> it's great to be paid to do a part-time thing in a program I really believe in. Yeah. Like, I feel super lucky. I don't, you know, at some it's... point they might kick me out, but for now, it's <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I'm mainly just saying that there's there's also, we need jobs to have income. Right. <laughs> um, and that was, that was really appealing. Well, and we just talked about this before we press record is like, there's this kind of mindset in Nashville, especially among musical artists that like, if you are not, if your job is like you work at a coffee shop or you do this other thing, but music is your side hustle, then you're not legitimate. Like until you quit your job and you're paid to do music, then you cannot call yourself an artist or a musician. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah. But I, I am not a music person, but I've lived in a city of music people for 15 years. I love music. I'm actually, I have pretty good taste. Um, and I see a lot of shows. But my reality in, I got a BFA and I moved straight to Boston after I got my BFA, knowing no one yeah. except the husband that I went with. And there was no... I also barely was beginning to know what being an artist was. Like I didn't, I didn't go and know. Oh, I should, I should um, intern for an artist or or be an artist assistant. That's all stuff that I tell my students now. But yeah, I didn't know that. I just knew you get a job to pay the bills, mainly because Boston's super expensive. Right. It's still wildly expensive, um, even in with Nashville's rising um, cost. You know those larger cities and centers. So I, I moved there, and most of the artists I knew had other jobs yeah. and and still were artists, capital A artists. Like, there wasn't this kind of uh, habit that I found when I moved to Nashville of, like, if you had a second job, it felt like, oh, geez, why do I have to do that? Yeah. That may be changing. I don't know. I don't want to – it's 15 years later, and Nashville's bigger now, but – and it's not as cheap as it used to be, um, but it's still wildly cheaper than all those bigger cities. Right. I guess I'm saying is like the cost of those cities. I don't know many people who get to sit around and do the thing full time. Right. Um, well, and it doesn't preclude like, like your work. Like it doesn't. The say, work is the work. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's. I mean, the times when I have thought, oh yeah, maybe I should make money with this. Um. It. 
the work is like mediocre. It can work for some people, but I don't, I don't necessarily make work that people immediately like designers immediately want to put. No, I don't, I don't want to limit, but I, I just, I worked in full-time academia and that was freeing because I could teach and then I could make whatever the kind of work that I wanted to make in the world that wasn't determined by if a commercial gallery was um, moving it out the door. At that point, Nashville had maybe two commercial galleries like, and an art public. Like I always like to ask musicians, like how many art shows do you go to in Nashville? Because guess how much music I hear a lot because I love it. Um, And galleries are free. So I think more people should go and just experiment with what it means to think about an object on the wall. Um, Think about how that, makes you think differently about the world or not, or, yeah. you know, in the same way that immersive music experience does that for you. you right. know? I, I routinely write a new song while I'm listening to, a sh- when I'm at a show, I keep a book and I start like words just like kind of dump out of me while huh. I'm listening to other people's words. It's always kind of inspirational to, yeah. like, I'm like, ah, oh, and this makes me think of this and here I dump all this out and then I put my little book away and I listen some more. What was the last show you remember going to that you, you felt that? Oh, see, I, I suck, suck, suck at remembering names, but there was this band that I'd never heard of. Yeah. Um, one of the, okay, so I'll back up. One of the people that I find sort of like the one who makes me think most, Matthew Perryman Jones. Hmm. There was a, a show that I went to that I fellow was like. Fellow dad. Fellow dad. I mean, parent, fellow, fellow whatever. Parent. Like, yeah. And um, an art parent, like who I've known for a long time, but like mm-hmm. I will go to his shows and he'll just be like pouring out his heart. And it's albums that I'm really familiar with because I buy all of his work when it comes out. And then I'll go to a show and then I'll just sit at the back and like just fill pages of Are like, you an Enneagram 4? I'm not. What are you? You seven. think? Seven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm already a little distracted like what? Squirrel. Seven with an A-wing? <laughs> Yeah, seven with a strong eight. Yeah, girl. And um, so and but there was this band that we went to, and it, my friend Elizabeth invited me, and I'd never heard of this band. And I went, and I was standing in front of these like four people who were my age or older, and I'm 42, and they were multi instrumentalists singing their faces off, huh. like it wasn't about their look or their like. Um, yeah, I feel like we go to a lot of, I go to a lot of shows and I'm, I see people who are like, oh my gosh, I'm like the sexiest thing. And, and like, I'm glad you're making great music and I'm glad you're sexy, but like that era has gone for me. Like I'm, I'm working with like what I got here and what I got had three babies and what I got is like, you know, had some, a lot of extra poundage and like, but these people were just, they were actually masters of their trade. They were masters of their trade, which yeah. it is this thing that like surprises me when people are like, oh my gosh, once you're over 40, you're washed up, <clears throat> like you're done. And that it's really like, at they that say that age, about music or baseball, about music, baseball. Yeah. Maybe like not the physical, but like as a creator of things, like when you become a master at things yeah. in, in the, in the genre of music, it, I don't feel like it happens as much in art, like in the genre of music, like once you hit an age, like. Um, can you stop now and grow up? Well, like instead of like, wow, you are like now you really have a handle on your voice and your instrument and your and your yeah. writing. Like we don't have the same relationship to uh, 
we're not popular culture. Right. So we don't have the same, and Nashville is such a specific scene, right? It but is. we don't have the same relationship to um, fame, although there are, I mean, certainly artists that are known or not or like credentialed and then they get the prizes and they, right. um, you know, are known and then their face is known. But there's not, you can be... I am not in this category, but I'm saying there are artists I love, 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 and they are really well-known and well-respected and showing at the Whitney. And like V.S. Selman's is one of my favorite painters. And it would be difficult if I had to line her up, I probably would get her confused with Michelle Gradner, who's also an amazing painter and artist and teacher and famous. And like, it's not the same. Like we don't have album covers with our faces yeah. and, and we're also not generally delivering our work bodily. Right. Like right. in real time. I just yes. think there's lots of reasons. And then we don't have this giant industry behind us in the same way. Yeah. The United States is the only first world country. If this is wrong, I'll research it and call you back. <laughs> the only first world country that doesn't give um, <clears throat> grants to visual artists. We give grants really? to every other kind of art, but not visual, because the NEA was, um, because of the culture wars in the 90s, and Serrano and all that stuff, we just decided to not grant to visual artists. There yeah. are other granting agencies, but yeah. they're not federal. And that doesn't mean there what? aren't small federal, but we generally don't get, NEA just doesn't. Um, there are ways around it for sure, but we're not the NEA being the national endowment, endowment for, the for the arts. Yeah. And there's, there's certainly visual art projects that are supported, but we don't, um, we don't support it in the way that other first world countries do. Right. All that to say there's, there's not the same industry and machine and machinations behind a visual present. Maybe like it was 200 years ago when there were, you were making a discrete object that meant that it was the thing, yeah. you know? And then that got complicated with like development of photography and printmaking and mass production. But um, yeah, I still I still believe in the making of a discrete object, even if it means like just the hope of something that is made by me is necessary, yeah. at least to me. Yeah. I mean, I uh, my, cor- my daughter and I, Phil, <clears throat> we sit and we do, we paint canvases together. Like... Mm. There, Can I hire her as an assistant? <laughs> <laughs> when will she be old enough for me to? I know, but she she has this deep connection with color mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like her work. When she puts it up, I'm like, what? I'm like, but she is unabashedly doing whatever comes to her mind. Do you Whereas have a little I'm spot like at home where she has? She keeps it all in her room. She has a wall of like, it's uh. full of her work. A little gallery wall. <clears throat> she has her own little gallery. So, all that to say, like, okay. We, I feel like when we you're should, at this right. show with yeah. these people that didn't have that vanity or would you, or it was to me, self awareness like or presentation. It wasn't that, it was, they had all of that. Like, I would say they were self aware and there was a presentation, but they weren't like, okay, I check all the boxes in that I don't have gray hair. I'm a certain size body. Right. Um, I'm a certain age. I'm a certain like level of sexiness or product or whatever. They were up there making this music and all of them over the course of like two hours played four to five different instruments hmm. and like just made all this huge mass of music in front of me. And I was like, 
Yeah. You guys are amazing. I do think in visual art, there's an honoring of um, clocking in and, and having years of experience. Yeah. Like, I mean, and that's not to say that there aren't, like, I never got into the 30 under 30 shows, or there was one show <laughs> that went through New York that was, like, younger than Jesus, and I was... <laughs> I was one year or two years younger than Jesus, so I was like, ah, maybe I'll get in. Um, and there's still kind of these categories for emerging artists. I do think there, and there are certain galleries that will are only interested in kind of like younger artists or, or maybe artists despite age who are have a certain degree of being perceived as um, emerging or right. more self-taught or right. And and then there's also the opposite is true too. Or there are galleries yeah. that want like seasoned, experienced, whatever that means. Educated, degreed. Yeah. Yeah. I find the whole thing so fascinating, but we have jumped way ahead for listeners. We just jumped into this conversation that you and I were already having. As I, I feel in like the door. listeners are right here with us. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so a little bit of backstory from for you, you grew up in Arkansas, mm-hmm. kind of rural. It wasn't a big city. Um, and then, pursued like what took you from rural Arkansas to New York right New York is where you went to school I went to um so yes I grew up in Arkansas and with the family of college goers you know I always like to kind of frame my experience in Arkansas I had smart college educated people around me for sure like smaller towns but um yeah, and they weren't rubes, still aren't pretty amazing people. Um, but definitely, like, the, the whole state at that point had 2 million people. So it's a small, sparsely like, populated state. Wow. And that was, like, how many people were in when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, two square miles. Right. Um, uh. So what happened was I um, went to art school, actually, at School of Visual Arts, which is in New York, but they made a branch campus in Savannah, Georgia for a short-lived time. That's a whole other discussion about, like, how the school was then sued by another school and um, brought me into some activism when I was, like, 17, 18. Um, So I I never – I went from SVA New York – I mean, SVA Savannah to – I transferred to UT Knoxville. I was at art school. It was lovely, but I think I was probably depressed – but no one talked about it in right. 1996. No, who does? Um, <clears throat> so I, and I have a, I have a, um, I didn't have, I wasn't on medication. I probably should have been, but I didn't know. Same. So I just changed the situation because that's what we thought we should do. I do, I can catch myself like living in my head and like there's some like, I don't know if triggers is the right word, but I know like, I know some unhealth that I need to like, I know the signs. Um, a little bit, but also part of it was this big lawsuit. Like it was weird. Yeah. So I transferred to UT. I really was looking for to be at an art school, but to be a little more anonymous, a bigger art school, which UT was. Um, and then I moved to Boston after undergrad. And during Boston, I um, was there for like five or six years. And then I went to graduate school up there in Vermont. And then I moved to Nashville couple during during that time like at the end of grad school and then I went to New York at Cooper Union I studied for summer okay so outside of being at Cooper Union and just loving New York I've not been there but have been in Nashville for 14 years yeah that's a long time it's the longest I've ever lived somewhere besides Arkansas so I lived 17 years there 
wait, hang on. I might be getting close. Mm. I moved to Texas when I was two and I left when I was 22 and I'm coming up on 20 years. You're halfway, now. Mark. You're half-life. I'm coming Felix up and I are at a half-life. Are you? Because I got married at 22 and we are coming oh, up so on 22 young. years of marriage. Aww. I don't know if I would say awe to that, but there are a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things that you can say about a complicated marriage. You, can, um, you catch them early. You catch, you catch all that stuff early, and I feel like there's a lot more grace. Like Matt and I were 27 and 29 when we got married. I think uh-huh. we had solidified into some crazy that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have flown at 22. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe so. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't know, but that brings up the invented realities again. Right, invented reality. <clears throat> Yeah. So all that brought you here and where you have an active studio practice. And I feel like you've grown from like, I mean, there was a point. The reason why I'm a Jody Hayes collector is because there was a point where you and I exchanged one time art for some earrings that I had made. <laughs> I loved those earrings and I'm sorry I broke them. Oh, you did? I'll fix them. I loved them. Wherever um, they are, they're I'm fixable. sure a kid also yanked them. <laughs> yeah. I, I still have, I think I still have some of that design. I'm always up for a trade. Yeah. Um, so that was my first Jody Hayes piece, and you referred to it as very Talmudic. It was a, a man sort of in robes with oh, a, blue, a very gosh. blue background walking, and he's wearing brown robes. And oh, yeah, like that a was rabbi. A, yeah. Huh. It was part of your series, I think, Things That Make Me Afraid. Like, I think there were, I feel like there were sharks at the same time. Uh-huh, that was grad school work. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So I have that piece, and then I have a couple other ones, I think, it, when you're like red ink kind of series Mm -hmm. that's right yeah oh that's awesome yeah (laughs) so that's how long we've been hanging out long time it was pre i don't think did it i think the two of us just had i think i had a kid but you didn't have kids yeah i didn't have i i was i had my first when i was 34 and um really got after it yeah. um, for <laughs> three kids in five years get on it which is what my mom did my mom had three kids <laughs> in four years and I always after I had two I we thought we were done and um we were surprised by the third and I I know my I feel like I understand my mom more after having the third and I'm also the youngest of three so I understand myself more for having Cleo yeah and all the like complex things that mothers are thinking about um at least I, th- I am. I'm not sure my mom is, was, but we've had some good conversations. Like, Cleo just has to be someone who deals with a mother that has two other kids and yeah. a career. and Yeah. Yeah. And you hope that that's going to work out for the best <laughs> for her. Start it means that I'm like, now. I think you actually know the layout at Home Depot better than you know, like, the downtown <laughs> library story time. Uh routine for sure like she she definitely is mine that um has had to do my errands yeah yeah that was my youngest he was always up for like a you want to go to home depot yeah yeah it's because they don't know that the downtown library is a story time with puppets (laughs) i think we went to the downtown story time with puppets and then my older two were like ugh, mother there's that they're like we're over this okay well we should go because he did go a couple times but not like i attended with my oldest where it was like that's all we did. Cause yeah, I didn't. I didn't do a ton with the boys. I would pop in, but I wasn't a frequent flyer there because um, they didn't. You know what? They didn't like to sit. You gave them yeah. like fruit snacks, and they would sit for five minutes. But so I, I had a lot of mom. I call them my pledge class, like my mom's club. Um, Your pledge class. People. 
who had girls first and that kind of put me on a different a little bit of a different schedule or routine than a lot of those who had girls first even if they had boys second or something that the temperament of like a girl with a boy it was just it's different it was different I definitely agree with that um, like my, or maybe my boys are just a specific kind, or maybe I'm just a high-strung mother, but all of it might be true. <laughs> I think I am a high-strung mother, and like, but my oldest did not sit like like little girls sit until uh-huh. she learned to read, and then she'd sit. Not <clears throat> she's so a reader, much, isn't I'm like, she? Can you go outside? Yeah, she's a like early on. I love she was that an about early her. Adopter of like. All the books. Mm. What's her favorite book right now that she's reading? Or series oh, or something? Oh gosh, like Land of Stories. She loves like, she's all into like dragons and fairies. And mm. she's just still sort of like in dreamland, which I love. Even though mm-hmm. she's almost 11, she's still, yeah. she's still into fairies and dragons. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, just stay in that. And also dress up as like a Norse character and don't date. <laughs> <laughs> just be like Lord of the Rings and everybody's like weirdo. I'm like, yeah, because then you'll find your jam later and you'll have gotten through college or high school and you won't be pregnant. That's my goal. <laughs> That's yeah. my goal. Like just keep like, just whatever. Boys are dumb. Don't, I don't like them. Don't have babies in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, but um, if she did, she would have a, a grandmother, right? A uh, mama who would just mom. help out. Mom. <laughs> I don't, I mean, That's I'm not legit. making fun. I do, I, I yeah, I've, I yeah. think about that, like, yeah, what, you know, there are a lot of scenarios and a lot of my friends' lives have looked different than mine, and um, I had that happened. I would have parents who would have just, like, I'm like, I'm, you can put this on your privilege box, like, yeah. you can check it. My parents would have been right there for me oh yeah and it, it would have been complicated I'm sure and they I would have had a lot of help I'd be an amazing <clears throat> I'd be an amazing grandma just saying just but th- let's just not do that yet did you <laughs> when you were growing up did you babysit like did you do you feel like you had a a ready a readiness once you had your own kids well let's see I started babysitting at 11 oh and then when I I babysat everybody's kids for like forever. Are you the oldest in your family? Nope. Third. Okay. Are you the first girl? Mm-mm. Girl boy okay. me. I'm just striking out here. <laughs> I know. I don't fit the... Um, I just babysat for everybody growing up and um, moved here and had terrible, terrible jobs where I thought this is what I needed to do. And then um, a friend of mine was... Or actually my aunt was like, why aren't you a nanny? And I was like, that's a job people do for money. Did you? Like, I didn't know right. that was a thing. I thought that was like, oh, it's like stories that you hear in New York. No. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So then I was a nanny full time for like three years. Like people have, you know what? That's a great distinction because growing up where I did, I think maybe had I grown up in Little Rock, I did in Little Rock. It was the capital and like just probably more people more at humans. that point. Not now because Bentonville is so giant and cosmopolitan. But at that point, I feel like Little Rock had more people maybe not from, not native Arkansans or whatever, but in general, there weren't people with jobs or lives that warranted nannies. Right. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, me either. You're right. I would have had to look on like, what did, in big business, (laughs) did they have, at some point, did they like live in, have a nanny in New York? I don't know. I think they had That was all from movies. Like it was just babysit. Like I could babysit. 
Yeah. And then I became a nanny full-time. And then... After college? After college. Okay. Yeah, because there's a lot of that here in Nashville. Yeah. Or mu- touring musicians or like... Right. I was writing and recording and had like... Put the, I was working on my second independent album and I recorded it and my boss would not... Where I was a nanny was like, so are you going on the road? I was like, I don't really have a plan. And he was like, well... Maybe you should go ahead and give your notice so that way, like, when you do have a plan, I'm not left hanging. And I was like, I, oh, okay, I guess I'm giving my notice. Like, so I get, I guess I gave my notice, like, because they thought I was going to go and... Were they musicians? <laughs> no. So like they didn't know how the industry worked, right. but it they're like, like, maybe that will happen. I was like, a, a, I don't know, he did stocks, like... I don't know what he did. She That's all we doctor. need to know. They do stocks, like, quote he unquote. Did stocks, like he researched stocks, and his wife was a doctor. Like, like I don't know what that. They made mm-hmm. like the, you know enough money to pay me like mm-hmm. a normal living wage and still be like dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. So I quit that job and then started my own nanny company where I did short term nanny oh, for people. Oh wow! I, I did know. not know this. It was abysmal. Uh, because I was the only employee (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't have like the business acumen to expand or be like, I should hire other people. Right. And this is before like nannies.com or care.com. Right. None of that that. existed. I just was doing my own thing and then met Matt while I was, um, met him while I was recording and then, um, decided I like didn't want to go on the road Hmm. because I didn't want to be away because we were newlyweds anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> we just got married. Yeah. Waited like 27 years to have like a permanent Person. partner in my bed. Yeah. Well, let's, I'm going to stay here a while. So, yeah. And it just became a habit staying here. And you, when you had your own kids, you, you kind of knew I mean, your I, way around that world. I knew the logistics of like, I, I, I've said this like in other con- contexts where contact where I knew the logistics of how to care for a human, mm-hmm. but I was caring for humans without the deep hormonal and emotional connection. Hmm. Like before I had babies, a baby would cry and be like, oh, I need to pick you up. When my baby cried, it was as if there was a hook behind my navel that was jerking me up out of sleep. Hmm. It was like a, I could literally feel my body like, oh, I'm awake. Oh God. Huh. Like it was a, like I had a hormonal connection to her and like, uh, there was way more fear and way more like, huh? Just like, I'm going to mess this up cranking through me. Even though I know the, knew the logistics of right. Caring for a human, like yeah. feed, diaper, sleep, walk, talk, teach them how to sort beans. Like I know all the <laughs> things, <laughs> small motor large motor blah 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 but I didn't like I couldn't cope with like this new emotional connection that I had with this human being who mm-hmm. like her well-being was connected to my well-being because if she wasn't okay then I was not going to be okay I didn't have that experience as a nanny like mm-hmm. I was like I just need to do my job well and take good care of this kid but as a parent I was like oh, oh my god your existence like, I live or die based on your existence. Like, yeah. if, if something happens to you, I will also die. Yeah. Ah, that was a whole different experience. Yeah. Did you feel like that, like you had that kind of... I did not ever babysit, or I should say the one <laughs> the one time I did, my sister is is 
wonderful with kids and children to this day and always babysat and is really gifted with like a contentedness around children and like really gets a kick out of yeah who they are as people like I think I just always couldn't be bothered or like I just don't <laughs> I mean I didn't I didn't know that I would have kids even when you know the first 10 years of marriage so I don't have like a natural habit to a maternal instinct or like whatever I yeah. think that's all kind of like probably mythical so is Gus like or, a total like <clears throat> let's just do a hard left here you know what it was uh I mean it was it's probably more like pragmatic and that being said like obviously I have connections to my kids but right. I still am not like giantly like soft and maternal you know <laughs> like I'm loving but I'm also have a have like very little patience and Gus was um I was 33 and I remember just talking to Felix and I had a lot of friends who were older who had trouble getting pregnant. Yeah. So, and also probably some friends who were younger too. It just wasn't as privy to those stories, but, um, and I also wasn't super young. So, I mean, most of our friends and peers in Boston weren't thinking about having kids yet at 33, but down here in Nashville, where if you're 23, yeah, I just thought, well, I remember us saying very (laughs) logically, like, well, if we are going to try to have kids, we should do it now because in a few years, it could be the reality that the door's shut. Now, that's an invented reality, too. It could, I also had Cleo just be bopping around and like at 40. So, like, wait, (laughs) thankfully, we had three pregnancies and three children and easy pregnancies and easy times getting pregnant like the story wasn't that it it um would be hard but we it was more logical than like I didn't have a tug of like I want I want children and I want this family to build and create and that's been a super interesting journey and like mostly not intellectual for me but um yeah I didn't have that impulse I love it now to like experience it but um Gus was, Gus is, uh, yeah, he was the one that made us parents. Yeah. Like we, neither one of us really had like a strong inclination to like kids and family. And, and then you like, had two more. Two more. <laughs> well, and Eames too, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, they're close together in age. They're eight, uh, 21 months apart and that and then Cleo came around three and a half years younger than Eames than yeah. the middle so there's kind of a gap we kind of call our only child a lot because <laughs> it ended up being the boys are at school and then it's like the three of us yeah um yeah but I don't think that I think that's also like a thing that we are told as women in the south that we have to have that like exactly if you don't have that maternal instinct not just in the south but we... in like the the evangelical industrial complex. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That other component. Yeah, and Christian cultures. Um, You're called to. Yeah, create. and it's super complicated and not generally fair. Yeah. Or, or in in my case, it's not a truth. You know, that doesn't mean that I don't love my own kids, and it just sets up this weird unpartnership with your own person, whoever that is. I think it can be anybody anybody dependent it doesn't hinge on gender or any of that but 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of those systems to push up against in parenting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I felt like as a kid I wanted to have kids, I wanted to be a mom. Like I think I would have said that too. Yeah. And I think even like when you're dating and you're falling in love with people and especially Felix and I fell in love within the uh, context of like um, a faith-based system. And so I do think there was that like this impulse to procreate. I mean, I think it's like it drives things. But I, so I I think that I, in theory, it was like, oh yeah, I I probably said I want to be a mother someday. Um, And I don't think that that was untrue, but I also really cared and still do about my own career. Right. And I think as women, we're made to feel that that suspect, if the one and only thing isn't our children or our spouse. Right. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And then if if we're not made to feel that, then our bodies then um, demand a lot of us, whether we've had our child biologically or however it happens for us, adoption. Like we do a lot of the tending and caring. Yeah the brunt of it and a lot of those are societal a lot of those are whatever and for us it was also just like it made sense for me to choose to be home with the kids um, anyway yeah I think there are a lot of things as women that we kind of habits that we're told are ingrained or given and yeah. that, that doesn't have to be it, for me it doesn't it can't be true that I have to be like that and be a mother like yeah um, because you can't you abandon know. like who you are as a person yeah. And, also and you be, have to believe, I do believe like magical thinking, like you have to believe, well, these kids are good to me for a reason and they're, it's complicated, but we're all in this together and yeah. we're all kind of learning together for something that's bigger or yeah. Yeah. Well, and I find that's true. Like there is this deep, there is this belief, I think that we as humans carry around that other people have it figured out or other people are doing it right mm. or other people, if I could just, that magical thinking yeah. that we come up against again and again in so many arenas, like not only parenting, but like work and music and art and yeah. jobs and careers. and It money. comes from that advocacy that we were, <laughs> we were talking about too. Like yeah. what, what didn't I do? that I could then advocate now for my kids so that they don't have to deal with that lack when, you know what, it's precisely dealing with that lack that's going to build these kids to exactly who we need to be, Exactly. which is not like aware and honest and truthful, but not cynical people. And and how many times, like, I don't know, there are people who I've, I've known over the years, like their parents were not wealthy and they kind of like worked and had all this grit and like created a thing. Mm-hmm. And then their kids had the benefits of being wealthy. And their kids were just the most unmotivated, like entitled, mm. like, oof, <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that yeah. either. Like, and the myth that it has to be either or. Yeah. Like, you could also be an amazingly hooked up human. Right. And come from wealth. And come from wealth and be kind and change the world and, and have agency. Like that's yeah. when I think about a, a, a connectedness that maybe I didn't have growing up in terms of like access or education or money, like whatever those things are. I, I do think like for a, for a long time, it was like either or for me, you're yeah. either that and you get it and you, you're hooked up or you're not and you have to hoof it and you believe in hard work and the meritocracy will allow us all to make it, whatever yeah. that means. I do think there's like 
third and thousand ways to think about that where it's like maybe also you could, this seems obvious, but maybe you could also be a real jackass and <laughs> and also work hard and not yeah. be connected. Or maybe people listen to you because you went to said pedigree school and you know what? You could use that for good. Like yeah. you could align your greatest mission in life not to be about going to Harvard and making a ton of money. Yeah. Fine too, if you want to do that. I know a lot of people who have and they're good friends and they're amazing. Or you could also use that pedigree and privilege to then turn that gaze over and start like an amazing charter school that yeah that is about equity or whatever that is like I'm seeing that in my life as exceptions like or as an exception to the way that I used to think yeah like it has to be a many a brilliant different ways to think about something and make it all work out but I do think the cynical Gen Xer will default to like, oh, so I didn't get, it. yeah, didn't like get I, we have to chip away at that. We have <laughs> yeah. to like every day, it's like cleaning our house, which neither one of us do very well. <laughs> it takes so every day true. doing a little bit, you know, I, know, I think I, I do so chip that. away at my cynicism in my forties better than I chip away at housework. Same, same and again, <laughs> that's that, that's that, uh, mother, parent, woman, female societal condition. Yeah. Why do I have to say that about my house? Yeah. I don't, I don't think that don't my think, spouse yeah, no. thinks that the first thing. Uh-uh. I think he, he might think it and then say, oh, yeah, we need to really work on our house. <laughs> but women, we, like, I do think there's a lot to turn over in terms yeah. of our habits and like conditions. And... Well, and, or it's not like a moral failure to, to yeah. struggle with yeah. housework. That is a, such a... Like, it's not, it's an unspoken thing. Like, if something's wrong with your house, something is wrong with you. Mm. Like, it's a reflection of, like, your internal mm-hmm. chaos, <laughs> which is not wrong, but yeah. is that such a bad thing? I would push back and say it is wrong. I mean, I could certainly be tidier, well, say, yeah. as you but... could tell from my house <laughs> that you walked through. Your house is But also, awesome. like, here's the other thing. Got my kids off to school, right. went to my job have a few things I have to do in my studio. Like yeah. I, my mom gave me the advice and she also cleaned my house this weekend. So yeah, it's both her enabling and her fault. She <laughs> told me in Boston when we had a tiny 400, 400 square foot apartment in Cambridge. That's a little, that's the size of this garage. Yeah. It was 450. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was broken up into rooms, but it's about this. Um, and we, I didn't have a studio, obviously. That might not be obvious. I couldn't afford also studio rent on top of, I think we paid $1,500 for that (gasps) a a month for that apartment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that was 20 years ago. So just a lens on when people say Nashville's expensive. expensive. It might be that now. I don't know. I don't rent an apartment. It's not. It's not. But on top of that, studio rents were at the least two or three hundred, and it was just not going to happen. I was working at Paper Source Retail, like, (laughs) and then I worked at the gallery later, but just not not working. Um, so I was telling my mom about like needing to make my work, um, and she was like, "Well, I mean, because I literally in the tiny little like dining room nook was right there in the kitchen, and it would bother me that the kitchen had dishes that were dirty." I'm not sure that it bothered also my spouse, but that's a whole other (laughs) thing it did. But, you know, we finally got a dishwasher at the next apartment and that helped our marriage. Um, (laughs) But my mom was like, you have to be okay with just 
not doing the dishes and doing your work. Yeah. And that was the best, most feminist advice she could ever give me. Like, just don't do it. Like, and there, at some point you do need to clean your house. I'm not saying that. (laughs) Or hire someone to do it if you can, or trade or do whatever. But um, there is something to privileging, like, I don't need to, I need to be right here in the studio finishing this project. Like, that's what, that's what makes me most alive. And then I'll prioritize and like, do that tomorrow. But I'll set a timer for 20 minutes. Right. You just bust it. And that, I mean, that's true. Like even my, even my spouse who, you know, we go head to head about a lot of stuff, but he has always said like this idea that like, I would be like, I have all this house shame and I need it to be clean and I need to be nice. And he was like, who's telling you that? Mm-hmm. Who's telling you that? Right. I'm like, it's turn, It's internal. I know. <clears throat> and he's like, let it go. I'm like, but your dad and your stepmom are coming over and they're going to think, and he's like, who cares what they think? Right. I care what they think. Yeah. And it's, it's complicated, into, right? Yeah. There's also an amazing kind of, like my husband's very hospitable and I think I've picked up some things from him and his mom and my parents and my grandmother. I've, I come from very like open and hospitable people. Yeah. So there's also that where you're like, no, I, I'm my, I think I'm at a place now where I'm like, I don't need you to think I am amazing because my house is clean, right. but I do want you to feel honored yeah. to be here. Yeah. I don't want you to sit amongst the Cheerios. Yeah. I think that there's also that where you're like, yeah, I also want you to feel like that's the reason why you want your house to be clean when people come over is right. so they feel like you've shown up for them. Right. We call them sweatpant friends. Like we had some friends <laughs> over in Boston who weren't capital F friends, but we were kind of getting to know them. And he came over um, and he came from very good quote unquote people, like right. super hooked up poet and his family from a hundred years ago. And he showed up in sweatpants like, oh, hey. And kind of looked like he didn't shower. And there's a lot of that, like, <laughs> New, England, New England grunge for sure. Like, people who are maybe wealthy enough to look like they aren't. aren't. But Felix and I were like, oh. look, I know that you maybe have never been to the South. And you probably think we're like, I don't know who you think we are. But <laughs> I think we're worth slacks. <laughs> I don't know. Jeez, like, maybe? I don't know. And this this wasn't when they were like cool. Now there's like cool sweatpants cool that sweatpants. are tapered Those with zipper. Thing. And I'm not saying. No, this was the old style from the. Like, I'm, the I'm saying like, you know, your friends deserve something. Whether yeah. that's like just judging your house a little bit or like not wearing what you rolled out of bed in. Right. And, like, <laughs> and it could be to get to, to quote, to, to use a Brene Brown phrase and think generously, the most generous thing you can think about someone. I also think that perhaps this guy was um, really depressed. Yeah. And that really was his best that day. Yeah. Was rolling up. In some sweatpants. Not having, yeah, to get, I do think it's possible in that situation that to, for him to get out of bed and have dinner with us was his biggest yeah. achievement, which is great too. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you and I both have kids to pick up. And we do. We have to. And so um, we, um, yeah, what, like, we just kind of talked through all the things, which I love. That's how our Were there some bullet points go. that we need to, do we do, do you <laughs> yeah, do like a, I was listening to some of your other podcasts because I have friends and stuff who have been on them and you've asked and it's always like, oh, I can't, um, there, there aren't, usually don't have like a, okay, I always ask these five. Chit chat. Yeah. I like that. It's very informal. It can make me feel a little like 
Enneagram, <laughs> Enneagram three, I need to, I need, I need for you to tell me the hoops to jump through and I'm going to jump through them. So you don't feel sad at the end of this. But if <laughs> but you don't, don't feel, feel that sad. way, I feel like we I'm have given each other. Three. You're not, you're just like, I just love here. Yes. I'm, a, I'm here. Yes. <laughs> right. I just want to be here. Like, I think that's been the most fun about like, this is there've been guests that I've had, like I just finished recording and with someone and she's not like a personal friend. And so mm-hmm. it felt different. Like it felt more yeah. like I have to ask the right questions. And we knew and each other be... before we were parents, like yeah. in another universe, we would have done this without having children. Right. It like, been a different so that's a different like Nashville and art and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. so, but Thank you. This is great. I don't know. Make sure people are okay with it. All of you (laughs) listeners, if this was awful, my podcast, then I can have Jody if I want to. So there, always. I would love it. It's awesome. (laughs) But thank you so much for like carving this time out. I know we both were like, okay, from one until two thirty, you can go to my house. That's the way we do it. Yeah, that's how we roll. Right after we've um, barkeepers friended our sinks. The fly lady. No, I didn't barkeep her friend my sink. I just was like, go to your your house? Great. I don't have to clean up. Bye. So thank you so much. Yes. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Let's do this again. I love this. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around and listening to that whole conversation. It was was just a hair longer than I thought it would be. But um, thanks for sticking around. I appreciate you. And um, don't forget, you can always reach out and you can find me on... Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I have an email. It's icumamapodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you are uh, out there and listening, this podcast would really benefit from a rating from you on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you could... uh, rate the podcast and leave a comment that would help other moms like you find it so until next week i will see you later and i see you you're doing a great job keep it up mama bye